Welcome back to the 29029 podcast. This is Tales from the Mountain. I'm your host, Travis McKenzie, and I am so privileged to welcome today's guest. Many of you know her as the voice of the mountain. I want to add some color to that. I want to add some context and some love and connection to the voice so that you can become more than the voice and you can become fully expressed. Colleen, how are you? And welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much, Travis. I love being here. I love this podcast. I love listening to the 29029 stories. So getting to be here with you, this is great. I love this community and it's so fun to tell these stories. So I hope everybody enjoys them as much as I enjoy listening to what you've created. Yeah, thank you. I, I'm very interested to hear because we've been on the mountain together a couple of times. We've spent a lot of time in Zoom rooms uh, in 2020 during uh, the virtual events. You're a really big part of our community, but I want to hear from the start, how did you even come across 2929? How did you find out of the, about the event? How did we recruit you? What was all of that all about? I don't know if you guys recruited me as much as I just said, hey, I love what's going on here. So how I found 29029 was through some friends that I had who had worked on the operations team with our our race operations. Garth Wilson worked on his team and I had worked, I worked closely with them during the year on different events. And I saw them go off to this 29029 thing and this triangle logo and all these Facebook and Instagram photos of these mountains and these tents and these people. And when they got back, they first did Utah, I think it was 2018. And they got back and I was like, what is this? They've got this sweatshirt with this triangle on it. And I was so intrigued because these are my close friends and we're usually at events together. I wanted to know more and they were telling me about it. And I'm like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And they we're speaking so highly of everyone there and the experiences that they experienced, even as staff. And then they went and they went to Vermont and I looked at all their pictures and I was jealous that I wasn't there. And we were working together the next weekend. And I was like, I want to be involved. Do they have an announcer? Do they have someone there? And they're like, no, I don't. It's different. It's not the same. I I, I don't know. You'd be great there. People would love you, but I don't know how they'd work that in. And I was like, okay. And I I let it go for a couple months. And early in 2019, I contacted one of my friends and I said, Hey, who's your contact at this 29029? Send him my email. If you don't mind, warm it up a little bit. And I said, Hey, I'm an announcer. I'm good friends with these guys. I've announced for years at events that I've worked with them. I love your event and I would love to see if I could be a part of it. And that's where it all started. Garth did not answer me. He thought he had answered me. And like two or three months later, it was springtime. I was like, man, I got a big rejection there. And I thought, I'll just send just another email just in case. And so I shot him an email and said, hey, I was just following up on this. And he promptly responded back to that email. And was like, I had thought I had emailed you. I apologize. And we got into talks and then I was on the mountain that August in Utah and it was fabulous. Yeah. Amazing. And that's where we met. We met for the first time there. And it was one thing I want to bring up is you are a race announcer, but you're not that I've, I've grown up around endurance sports. I've been to more triathlons and marathons than you could count. I did my first when I was eight years old. So I've seen 
the gamut of race announcers. And usually it's dry. Usually it's filled with sponsor announcements. It's mispronunciations of people's name. And it's pretty boring, to be frank and honest. And you're not that. You bring an energy that's that I've not seen before. Is that 29 or 29 specific? Or is that something you bring to every other event that you announce at? I feel it's a personality thing for me. I, I That's the only way I can really explain it is I was a personal trainer for a really long time. I've been an athlete like you, Travis, and I know what it's like to be in those situations. And when I'm at a finish line in an announcer role, I feel like I understand what's going on the other side. Like I can look at somebody and I know where they are. I know the dark spot they're in. I know the joy they're experiencing. I know that emotion. And I just let that flow into my announcing. And there's just a connection. And I feel like I get so much back from the people that I see that I use that energy that comes back to me from them experiencing what they're experiencing. And I'm able to just funnel it right back to them in a way that creates this connection. I I think that my job is more about connection than really announcing. It's how can I connect these people to this event and to this moment in time so that it is something that remains with them in their memories when they leave this place. So that's where I come from. You do a great job of that. I, I would love to hear from you, your perspective of, around how you've translated that in 2020, in these virtual events, in the experiences that we've created, where we bring people together to climb 29 or 29 in their backyards, basically. Tell me more about what that was like, because it was for me, it was a transformational experience, participating for the Idaho virtual but then also being a part of the other events and seeing people go above and beyond and do things that they couldn't do or didn't think they could do without the infrastructure that we create on the mountain. So I want to hear from you, from your perspective of what that was like for you going through that in 2020. When everything went virtual in 2020, it was interesting because I found myself at a, an interesting place as a lot of us have where it's, man, I'm the one who's high-fiving and hugging and I'm in front of people And how do I translate my job into this virtual world? And when Mark had called me and said, hey, we're going to go virtual with Idaho and we want you to be a part of it. We're going to have Zoom rooms. And I just got the information of how we were going to do this. We were going to have Zoom rooms. We were going to use the WhatsApp. And it just had to progress naturally into what it became. As we pulled people into these Zoom rooms we were still able to build that connection and we were able to look at each other's eyes and we were able to see little peaks into their little places, their little mountains that they had created, whether it was in their living room or whether it was on an actual mountain. And it created a whole different level of connection through that platform that was really interesting. I don't know if I expected it to create the connection that it actually did. It's different from the mountain. But I feel like it was very impactful for a lot of people. And so I just came at it from the perspective of I'm just going to do what I do and I'm going to talk to people. And that's what we did. And it was an amazing experience in 2020. It really made us figure out how to 
overcome those mountains in our lives, like a pandemic and having to go virtual and how we can still form what we want in those times that are not probably what we chose to do. Yeah. I think it goes back to what you said earlier around connection. I think you have this unique ability to connect with people and I want to dive further into that, but I think that helps you and helped you translate that to those virtual environments. Cause it's not just, Hey, I'm an announcer or I'm hosting something. It is okay. You have this natural ability to connect, which I think really translated. And if we ask anyone or most people will say that they felt that with you and they feel that with you in real life. I want to ask you about that from a standpoint of being an athlete. You talked about being able to look into someone's eyes, to be able to recognize what they're going through in that moment. Tell me more about your athletic journey and how that has obviously aided you in your ability to have that connection and understanding of where people are at. You know, Travis, fitness has been a part of my life forever. I I was a dancer on drill team when I was in high school and I came out of high school and I started teaching group exercise classes. And so from I was up on the step aerobics in 1996 doing that in small gyms and I became a spinning instructor in the late 90s. I'm going to just age myself here more and more as I keep talking. But when you were seven, when I was seven, I was only seven years old when I started doing that. So I was always fitness oriented. I loved it. I was the kid when I was 10 years old, I got the get in shape girl package for Christmas. That's what I wanted. It had weights and it had a Jane Fonda tape and that's what I would do. So fitness has always been something I loved. And as I got out of high school, I started dabbling in competitive sports where I was teaching fitness classes, but then I was introduced to triathlon and started doing triathlon. I was not a runner. One time I tell this story that my dad actually told me when I was in high school, he's, you just shouldn't run. Just, you're not built for running because I'm 5'11". I'm not a small woman, but he's like, you, sh- you shouldn't run. So I never ran until I decided that I wanted to do a triathlon and started doing that. And that just kept increasing as I was doing long distance cycling events. And then longer distance triathlon events till I got married in 2005 to my husband. And we had our first baby shortly after that. And I was still dabbling in triathlon. But once I had my first baby, this is strange, but I found this new body that I had that moms will understand this. There's something that happens after you have that first baby. And I started to be a little more competitive in the triathlon world and ended up having my second baby. And after he was born, I started being more committed to my triathlon and I did my first Ironman in 2012 and I competed at 70.3 World Championships two years in a row when they were in Las Vegas and I really loved it. I loved to compete and I had been to events where I did terrible. I had been to events where I had done well I had been through the training for things to get you to through marathons and 100 plus mile bike rides and Ironmans. And so I had really experienced a lot and I had worked and coached with different athletes as well. And I just, I loved competing until it got to the point where I needed a shift in my athletic journey where it wasn't just about winning races anymore. It started to be more about the journey that... I wanted to be on. It wasn't about times. It wasn't about Strava. 
And any triathlete or anyone who's been in the triathlon world knows that there's a heavy shouldered burden of triathletes and getting faster and being faster and great equipment and people really scrutinizing that part of your athletic ability. And I was getting a little tired of that. And so I went to my running roots that I didn't really have, but I think in spite of my dad, I decided that's what I wanted to do was run. And I got into doing more longer distance running and more ultra marathons. And I felt like I just found myself there. And I loved being outside. I loved being in the mountains. I loved going long. I had the ability to go long and go hard. I may not be the fastest, but I can stay with you all day long. And I loved that. And it became more about the journey and not about competing. And I think that's what I loved about 29029 when I saw it is it wasn't about the competition. It was about the journey. But these people, some were coming to the mountain at 29029. They were Olympic athletes. They were people who had been in the triathlon world or the endurance world. But then there was also that athlete who didn't even know they were an athlete yet and showing up to the mountain. And so I found a piece of myself in that event and really loved to see that. And it goes back to, I've been competitive. I've been the person who doesn't want to be competitive anymore. And being able to understand those different places that athletes come from, I think just translates into that connection that we're able to have on the mountain. I love that shift in mindset. I've been through it about 10 times in my own athletic journey of all you want to do is be faster and better and stronger. And then all you want to do is not be anything like that. And going through those waves and those peaks and valleys of those feelings and, you know, getting clear on what does it mean to be an athlete when you're, you have two kids in a busy life and a job and all of those things when you may not have the time or energy that you had before. I think we're on the same wavelength there of going through that and probably in multiple iterations I think one thing that I've noticed about you on the mountain and from what I've heard from you know other stories and other people's recollections of you is that you find the right thing to say at the right time. So you can, as you mentioned earlier, look in someone's eyes and get a sense of, I know what you're going through. I know what you need to hear right now. And hopefully that gives them the boost. Tell me about from your personal experience, some of those times where you may have gone through those moments yourself, whether it's in your long runs or in Ironmans or other events where you had to tap into something in yourself and keep moving forward. Because I think that as people go through the training for 29 and 29 and they imagine themselves on their mountain, having tools and things like what you might be able to describe will be helpful for them so that they can be that own cheerleader for themselves throughout that moment as well. Yeah, I have one experience when I was at the World Championships 70.3, Ironman World Championship 70.3 in Las Vegas. They had run that event. It was 2012 and they had run that event in September. And if you know anything about Las Vegas in September, it's not pleasant. It was 103 degrees. Uh, the water temperature was 83 that we got to swim in. And I was coming in with my bucket emptied because I had come off a really hard year of doing my first Ironman. And I kept dipping into that bucket. I was not recovering. I was trying to just keep pushing that envelope to see what I could get. And I towed that start line and I knew it wasn't going to be the day that I wanted it to be. But in that experience of this really challenging race that had really challenging weather, had really challenging moments, I, ha I had to find a different reason for being there. 
I wasn't there to compete anymore because I got out of the water. I was way behind. I was already hot five minutes into the bike. Things just were not flowing. And we just have times like that as an athlete where things just are not going to come together. And we have to find another reason why we're going to keep going to that finish line because anybody can stop. They don't make you finish. You can stop. And I was on the run course and it's a, it was a three-loop run course. And there were some professional athletes who we would see because of the way that the run was set up. And there was a pro that she had bonked completely. She was done. And most professionals just drop out at that point. They're, they save themselves for another day. And I completely understand that from their competitive lives and, and how they earn their living. But she had decided to keep going. And she was back with us, the age groupers. And there was so much power in what she was doing for me. To see her having a terrible day, probably even a worse day than I was having, and her worst day was going to be all over the news. She was having a terrible day, but she was still just walking up the same hill that I was walking up. And at that point, I had this shift that I needed to get out of my own head and focus on other things. Because as I opened my eyes, everyone was suffering. It was 103 degrees. It was awful. There were people in dire straits all over the place. And as I made that shift to look to others and put a hand on a back, what do you need? Do you need a salt pill? Have you had any water? Do you, you know, can I help you? It totally changed my event. I still didn't feel great, but that shift within my perception of what I was doing became different to the point that it didn't matter about the competition. It mattered what I was accomplishing. There were people there cheering me on. I was so worried about all those people who had traveled to come and watch me compete that I was disappointing them. But they were so happy to see me finish, just as happy as they would have been had I won the entire thing. And so it was really a, a time that I shifted and I had to mourn the loss of that competitive spirit a little bit and shift to, again, looking at that journey and the process that we're on with other people and that it's not just about finish lines. It's not just about perfection and perfect goals. It's about being stronger, doing our best and doing our best for others as well. What, a, what an amazing story. And I can see that in you on the, in the mountain too. And I see that in other folks who come and they're a part of the community. And we've got, as you mentioned, we do have people who come who are Olympic athletes and world record holders, and they can participate alongside people who are first-time athletes, as you described, because there is no scoreboard. There is no looking over your shoulders to see who's coming. And everyone is there for the collective goal of just doing their very best, which traditionally isn't what in Ironman triathlon events. So this is why 2929 is such a great, unique opportunity for anyone who's also experienced that. Anecdote or little quick story, my experience with September in Las Vegas is different. I went to Interbike for many years in my previous role. One particular September was so cold. I didn't have any gear. We went for a ride in Red Rock Canyon. I froze. It was, I've never been as cold as what I was on that ride because I'd had no, I, it was not 103. That's for sure. It was probably closer to three. So that's my memories of September in Vegas. I, I would have taken that on that particular day. That's for sure. <laughs> Vegas, it's, it's just not hospitable for anybody. 
no, stay away from it. We won't be doing a 29, 29 Vegas. No, no. Now tell me more about then your journey from the morning of that competitive spirit. You've then taken on these adventures and lots of trail running and into a new world there. I know you took on Calendar Club last year. Thanks, Jesse, for motivating Colin, who then motivated me, who then motivated Colleen to do that. Tell me more about that journey post-competitive life and what that's been like for you. It's interesting when you come from that, especially the triathlon world, I think, because it is so competitive, to learn how to slow down and learn how to take a breath and enjoy what you're doing. And I'm in this constant fight with myself, even today. Slow down, Colleen. It's okay. You don't have to run so hard. You don't have to always work so hard. I'm a type A personality. I'm a perfectionist. I judge myself from those personal records and things. But as you get older and as your life changes, as children come into your life, as different people come in and out of your life, you're in a different place. And working towards the endurance world and the ultra world, you find a whole bunch of people who are just with arms wide open, just happy to be there. One of my favorite experiences with ultra athletes is I was on an ultra marathon and one of the top guys was sitting after the event chatting around the fire like ultra guys do with their beards and their plaid shirts on. And they had just run for 20 plus hours the one guy had made a four-mile mistake. He had gone four miles off the course. He never blamed anybody for marking the course inappropriate. He never said anything negative other than, yeah, I got an extra four miles and it's fine. And I loved that perspective of the journey that we're all on is the perspective that I want to have. And and it is something that I have to work at all the time to slow down and say, it's okay. It doesn't matter if I'm off course for a little while, if I'm not perfectly pointed towards where my goals are going to be. You brought up Calendar Club, Travis, and why I decided to follow your footsteps, I don't know. It is such a challenge to do. And I did it in August. I live in Southern Utah. Once again, it's like 100 plus degrees. And I found myself sitting on a rock many times thinking, I don't need to keep doing this. What am I doing? But I also gave myself in that same moment permission to slow down, to say, I'm not in this to do it fast. I'm not in it to be faster than Travis. I'm not in it to do it just like Jesse did it. I'm not in it to set a world record. I'm in it to just prove to myself that I can do it. And that's a shift that I've tried to make. And it's hard. It's a hard shift to make. But once you do and you give yourself that permission to slow down, that is where you grow. And that's where you can tackle even bigger and better things when you give yourself that permission to let go. Yeah, it is a challenge. No doubt about it. I want to take it back to the mountain. I have the privilege of bringing stories to life. I take a little piece of every story and it builds up my bank of joy and it builds up my bank of experience. And I I take every little piece. I want to hear from you, what you've seen, some of those impactful moments and memories that you have of participants from the mountain that really stand out to you as extraordinary moments that you'll never forget. Like Like you said, Travis, earlier, we met on Utah in 2019, that was the first time I was on the mountain. And I remember standing there looking up at the mountain and thinking, wow, 
this is going to be an interesting experience. I'd never, I'd never been there before. And I was nervous going in to Utah. I was nervous to be the announcer for Utah. I was probably just as nervous as they were in, in the tent. I was nervous to be there as well because I, I wanted to make sure I was able to bring to them what I could bring to them. And it can be intimidating at times. And as we started, Jesse did his spiel. And, and we hear, I love that we hear so many people who go to 29029 talk about Jesse's morning spiel that he does. And I, I have the privilege of standing close to him at that time and looking down into the eyes of these people who I do not know at this time. 250 people, headlamps on, in the dark, listening to Jesse. We got a little Eminem, Lose Yourself in the background playing. And you're feeling this vibe. And it's this wave of emotion that comes over everybody. And to watch those faces and to watch those first few footsteps are my absolute favorite moments on the mountain. And to watch that journey begin for someone, because the next time I see them, it's going to be different. But seeing that initial fervor that they have for what they've accomplished already at that point, because we all know if you've ever done anything that's in the endurance world, it's about the training. The training is the journey. The celebration is the mountain, is the race that we get to. So that's one of my most favorite parts. And then, of course, I, I get that unique point of just sitting and watching everyone make the decision of what to do once they get off that gondola. Are they going to turn right and come and see me again? Or are they going left and they're going into the lodge? And it's such an interesting process as you get deeper into Friday and you get deeper into Saturday to watch people have to make that choice. They don't have to go back up that mountain again. Maybe their family's down by the lodge. Maybe their friend is in the lodge and sitting in the Normatech boots, but they have to make that decision. And looking into somebody's eyes and being able to connect with them and look at them and say, hey, Nancy, you coming this way? What do you need to get back up that mountain? And giving them that, that little bit to help them say, okay, yep, I, I'm going back up the mountain. I'm going to keep walking. And of course, the other impactful moments always come towards the end of the event when you see Kyle McClung. He's, all, he's got moments to get through that gate at where I'm at before he climbs his final ascent. Or Cecilia, when she was at Vermont going up the mountain for that final time, our final person that we let through. And I don't see the benefit of people finishing. I see them starting every ascent. And I've never had the privilege of seeing those faces at the top of the mountain when they actually finish. I see them once they've sat in the gondola and they've maybe celebrated a little bit and they've come back down. Part of me is a little bit jealous that I don't get to see those faces at the top of the mountain, but there's something about when I get to see them, when they finally are back down on solid ground, shall we say, when they're back down to what to see that ascent board and see what they accomplished. And those moments of holding each other and hugging and just that emotional release of the finish line, the top is one thing, but coming back down to reality and recognizing what you did is an amazing place to be witness to with people. I love it. There's a few things to unpack there. There's the 
you get to witness the red bib because that's a symbol to us that you're on your final ascent. It's a victory lap. It's the opportunity to celebrate. You talk about celebrating is starting the event, but really the celebration begins once you're at that point. So that you get to witness that, you're a part of that, you help facilitate that for folks. Quite often I'm at the top and people get their red hat. And what I love about that is they finish at the top, they get their red hat, then they also have the 12 minutes or the 10 minutes in the gondola ride to really let it all sink in, to really take that moment to themselves or with a small group of people to sit in the accomplishment and then they're released into the world, which is what, and the, the joy that comes from that. So it's unique in that regard. If you finish an Ironman finish line, usually the tears are instant. You go off and then all of a sudden all you want to do is eat a pizza and go to sleep. Whereas this, there's this extended period of, wow, I get to sit in this joy that I've just experienced by, and not everyone gets to, to 29 or 29 feet, but there is always this moment of, I've done something really special. And for you to get to see both ends and bookends of that is really cool. And even after the mountain, after we finish on the mountain, we always have a, a dinner and a celebration that night where we recognize people for what they've done. And, and we have medals and, and I get the privilege of putting medals on these fresh faces who have showered that smell so much better than they did for the past 36 hours. And those moments are my favorite too, because again, they're sitting in this afterglow of what they've accomplished. And not that everybody's wearing a red hat, but that doesn't matter in that moment. What matters is we were on this collective journey together and now we celebrate that. And I find myself so many times with tears in my eyes for the accomplishments of these people and the connection. It, it just, it absolutely feeds me. It's amazing. We talked about Jesse's speech. We talked about you releasing people out into the wild, their first few steps. Talk about the red beer. We talk about them finishing and releasing that joy. We talk about the moment when they get their medal. What about some of the other intangibles? What about other things that, that come up to you, like the conversations that you might be privy to of people who are maybe they want to stop, maybe they choose to turn left and they've, they're done, but then they find some strength or they find some extra capacity to take on one more climb and one more ascent. I'm sure you take some like special memories from those as well. Is there anything or anyone that stands out to you that maybe they gave up and then maybe they came back and, and took another ascent and it really changed? their view of what was possible for them. I wish I could say, Travis, that I can remember every single person's name from every single event that I'm at. So I'm not great with names after the fact. I am so grateful for names on bibs, but there are those moments. And the ones that really stand out when Vermont, there was, oh, I cannot remember her name. She was from Washington State. I can tell you everything about her family and everything, but her name is eluding me. Her knee had just, it was done. It was absolutely done. She had tried and she had pushed. And in this world of endurance sport, we're always encouraging everyone to just go and take one more step and, and, and do what you can do. But there is a moment that every athlete has to face that, can I really keep going? Because we have to have a hard conversation sometimes when there is an injury, when there is something like that. And there was this moment with her that she was absolutely crushed. She knew that her journey for that time, 
not that it could never come back, but that journey was done. And I held her and she just sobbed in my arms. It makes me emotional just thinking about it. And she was so tired and she so didn't want her body to hurt like it hurt. But she also understood what she needed to do. And in that moment, we talked about what she had accomplished and what she had done on the mountain and that she wasn't a failure or wasn't being successful in that moment. She had succeeded. She had shown up. She had gone as far as she could go. And I just remember that embrace, that emotional embrace that we had. And the next day, I got to see her at breakfast. I love breakfast too. Breakfast on Sunday morning is another favorite for me. And I saw her at breakfast and she looked great. And she had, she of course was still hurting and, and things like that. And she had some recovery to do, but she had shifted. And you talk about people who get back out there on the mountain, but she couldn't get back out on the mountain, but she had shifted and she was present again. How easy is it for us sometimes to just go home and just say, oh, this was terrible. I did terrible. And we stay in that negative mindset. And she didn't. She had a smile on her face and she was in front of people celebrating her accomplishments as well as everybody else's. And, and that was really powerful. Watching Wooch Graf Wooch out of Houston, he was at Utah and he was one of the first finishers on the mountain, but he had brought an entire group of people with him. And I don't know how many ascents Wooch ended up doing, but I love the moments of watching him just scoop up those teammates and say, come on, we're going for another and we're going to do this. And being able to celebrate and help create that wave that carries them up the mountain for another time. I remember Adam, when he was there with us in doing his ascent and his goal was one ascent up the mountain. And that was such a celebration for us because we knew what it took for him to get up the mountain. And I cannot wait for him to come back to the mountain again in 2021. It's going to be so great. And we see that. We saw some in Vermont, there was a, a group that was climbing from Canada. And I, I liked to tease with them. They were getting off the gondola. I'm like, hey, where are you guys going? You can't go in the lodge. You got to come back out here with me. And they're like, we'll be back. We'll be back. And they were tired and they were done. And I was just making light of the situation and they went in and they were gone for about 15 or 20 minutes. And then they came back out, smiles on their faces, putting their gloves back on, getting their poles back ready to go. And once again, they were on the mountain. And it's an amazing thing to behold. Yeah, yeah it really is. And I don't discount your ability to maybe push people a little further and take one more lap and just be that moment of kind of spirit and moment of confidence they need to be able to take that on. For anyone who's listening to this, and maybe they've done a virtual event, maybe they're ready to come and join us for the first time, maybe they've been with us before, maybe they've experienced the voice of the mountain, what's one piece of advice or, or a parting thought that you can leave with them as people are about to un undertake this journey to get ready for their 29 and 29 experience in 2021? My piece of advice is to, to give yourself over to the mountain. Give yourself over to the moments that are waiting for you on that mountain. Sometimes in our training and things like that, we just get so laser focused on things and we know what playlists we're going to do and we know what food we're going to eat and we know exactly everything that what's all laid out in front of us. But when you get to the mountain, 
let the mountain have a piece of you because it's going to give you so much back. Talk to the people on the mountain. Listen to those moments that are quiet. Don't be quick to unplug from the experience. Sit in it. Sit in that discomfort. And also look at the people around you who are climbing with you. And together what you're accomplishing and what you can accomplish together. And just submit to that mountain because it will change you. I've not even climbed our 29029 mountain and it has changed me because of the people there, because of the feelings that are there, because of what people accomplish. So that would be my hope for everyone who comes and is at that starting line with us. Amazing advice. Every time I talk to you, I get more and more excited about the potential for us to come back and have this incredible reunion and bring back all the hugs, bring back all the high fives and have those moments together in real life on a mountain. Colleen, you're a star. I really appreciate everything you bring to this community. I appreciate learning more about you today. I appreciate being able to share that with our audience. And yeah, I can't wait to see you soon. Oh, either can I. I miss 29 on 29 hugs. I have a lot that are built up that really need to be repaid in 2021. <laughs> so I look forward to it. Thanks, yeah. Trap. Amazing. Chat to you soon. Thanks, Colleen. There you have it. Tales from the Mountain, the latest episode of the 29 or 29 podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about 29 or 29, or read more stories from our incredible community of participants, you can head to 29029everesting.com. That's 29029everesting.com. I'm Travis McKenzie, and this is the 29029 Podcast.